Amen. Don't you take your seats. Let me introduce Steve to you. Many of you know who Steve is. Uh, Steve and Liz are, are married to each other uh, and are very involved in our youth. Uh, been heading up our youth for a, a while and are in that whole mix. And our young people just come back from Soul Survivor. Give me some noise if you've been to Soul Survivor. Okay, fantastic. And we're going to hear from some of them next week. So that's very, very exciting. So give them a week to think about it and wake up as well. That will be good um, next week. I just want, Steve is a teacher uh, uh, in his real job, but also passionately committed to the church. Him and Liz, as well as heading, heading the youth up also, are involved in uh, leading a life group as well. So I'm going to pray for Steve before he comes and shares. Is that okay? Great. Father, we thank you for Steve. <laughs> We thank you, God, for his heart. And Lord, as we look at this series called Inspired, uh, something has inspired him uh, that he wants to share it with us this morning. But I thank you that beyond that, Lord, someone has inspired him that he's given his life to follow you. And God, at work, he does that. And here in the church, he does that. And I thank you for him and for Liz. And we value them very much as a couple and as individuals as well. And God, as Steve opens up his heart and opens up your word, God, I pray that you give us ears to listen and hearts to receive and minds to understand what you're saying to us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So good morning. Um, I came back from Soul Survivor yesterday, and look beat, I was in the car, and I began to feel unwell. Um, so I've come back with lovely man flu, and I woke up this morning with a very, very sore throat. So I, I snuck out of bed and tried to reassure my wife. I uh, put match of the day on downstairs as a distraction technique because I lived in fear that my voice was going to go this morning. So don't worry, if my voice goes, I did spend two hours this morning preparing this talk via the medium of mime and interpretive dance. So um, (laughs) any of you that are going to pray for the service, let's pray that my voice stays. Um, But when um, when I was looking at people from the Bible that really, really inspired me, I couldn't name just one person. There were loads of people running through my mind. But they had one thing all in common, all of them, and that was passion. Um, Now, obviously, my generation, what you do for your source of information, you go to the internet. Okay, so I sat there, I put passion into Google, pressed my enter button. Can I advise all of you, don't type passion into Google and press the enter button. So instead of starting with a piece of Googled information this morning... Just to break the trend, I think I'm going to start with a bit of a personal story. So let me take you on a journey of space and time as we travel back in time five years. Okay, and I was a much, much different person. Slightly thinner, slightly more hair, but I was still me. And luckily I had Liz. It was fantastic. And I decided, as you do, she's all right. I think I'll marry her, you know. So, um... I'd already given Liz the warning. I'd already said, look, I think I'm going to propose at some point. Um, how, would you, you know, how would you, you know, come around to responding to that? She seemed quite favourable. The signs were good. So, you know, the feelers had been put out. I was quite happy with that. And um, I thought, right, it's time to show Liz how passionate I really am. So Liz, obviously, having had this conversation then... Anytime she went shopping with any of her friends, would automatically go engagement ring shopping, which made my life a lot easier because I then, all I had to do was ask a friend, didn't matter which one, in fact, anyone that knew Liz, they could tell me the ring, okay? Fantastic. Didn't even have to worry about it. So November came, I decided to go ring shopping, went and got the ring, dead easy, walk in, oh, it's that one, brilliant, I'll have that, that's the size. 
And the guy said to me, that'll be three weeks. I was like, what's that? He said, no, it's three weeks. I was like, all right, I'll wait three weeks. And so I had three weeks to mull something over. How do you propose to your wife? Well, your girlfriend. Otherwise, that'd be weird. (laughs) So... Obviously, only, you know, being new to the whole engaging thing and, you know, proposing, I decided to ask a few friends. It was my first time. I wanted to make sure I get it right. (laughs) Hopefully, it'll be the only time. Um, But, you know, as you do, you ask around for advice. And I got lots of advice. I got advice like candlelit dinners, romantic boat trips, midnight walks. I even had somebody advise me to dress up as Frodo Baggins and declare my love in the forms of Lord of the Rings. I took on some advice and not others. So I'd already decided we were going to go to Lake District that Christmas, and I knew a perfect little waterfall off the side of Dermot Water. I thought, I know, it's perfect. We're going to go there. We'll go for a walk. We'll go to this lovely little waterfall. You know, all all kosher. Big surprise. The time's going to come. And I kneel down, and I propose doves will fly out of the waterfall. There will be fireworks that appear. From nowhere, Liz will, of course, start bursting into tears as the best moment of her life happens. She says yes, and then out of nowhere, a horse and carriage pick us up and whisk us off to somewhere romantic. I would love to tell you that's what happened, but it didn't. Those people that do know me, I'm a tad impulsive, just a tad. And so I got a phone call early December, your ring's here. Brilliant. Went straight from work. I think I've got to get the ring, got to get the ring. Pick it up, put the ring in my coat pocket, and go off to the bus station to go and get my bus home. And I'm standing there waiting for the bus, and I can just feel this ring in my pocket. Just, you know, you're playing with it. There's a ring in my pocket. That doesn't happen very often. And something inside of me just snapped. I didn't have a plan. Something just snapped. I'm sure the people in the bus station was sure that my fire, my house was on fire. Not my fire was on house, but my house was on fire. As I ran, like I've never ran before, to the nearest taxi, climbed in, and the only thing I knew was I had to beat Liz home from work. And so I did. Got out the cab. Great. Brilliant. My plan had worked. I'd arrived home before Liz. What did you know? So to people in the street, I must look quite odd. It was getting dark. I decided to pace up and down outside Liz's house. Pacing then turned into circling around, going around in circles. That then turned to me speaking to myself in a variety of different things, trying to psych myself up for a plan that I didn't have. I needed a plan and I needed one quick. And then the following things occurred. Number one, I was wearing a hoodie. Number two, it was getting dark. And number three, Liz had a very dark alleyway, a few doors up from a house around the corner. Brilliant. Then it happened. So I decided to go up into the dark alley, around the corner from Liz's house, put my hood up, and waited. <laughs> waited for the car to arrive. Now, you normally, Liz was back on time, but I don't know what it was. It was getting cold. She was being very inconsiderate. She was late. And there I am, in the cold, in the dark, with a hood up. I have old people tottering past me and circling me, looking at me suspiciously. But it's okay. I know I was there for a good reason. And then finally, Liz's car pulls up the road. The headlights go off outside the car. Timing is everything. That's the one thing I took from every proposed advice. Timing is everything. So I waited. And waited. 
animated. I have no idea what Liz was doing in the car at this point in time, but it really wasn't helping me. And finally, the car door opened and Liz's foot hit the floor. The time was perfect. Ten to six. (laughs) And I ran. And I ran and I ran. With my hood up, it was getting dark. And I'm sure I was screaming something. But what it was when I was preparing this talk, I can't tell you. But the look on Lizzie's face said it all. This was the end of her life. (laughs) Honestly, I thought Liz was about to weep. And just at the last second, when I'm sure Liz was thinking, it's all over, I whipped down the hood to reveal that it's me. At which point, after much, what? And all that sort of shock noises which you have. Liz began to laugh, and I got on one knee and proposed. And I was very, very lucky because Liz snatched the ring out of my hand, continued to laugh, and walked off wearing my engagement ring, and she still hadn't said yes. But I took it as a good sign that we were engaged. It did take three months for Liz to say yes, but, you know, she did. She was wearing a ring. Everything was fine. Now, that might not be advice you should give to people, okay? It might not be the most romantic way to propose to your, well, girlfriend, to be wife. But I did succeed in one thing. It was a proposal that Liz would never, ever, ever forget, okay? A mugging that never was. So as this talk continues this morning, I'm hoping to convince you guys, as I'm trying to convince myself as well, that actually these actions of a misguided man were one of the most passionate acts you will ever see. But you can be the judges on that. So the main person in the Bible that we really want to look at this morning is Jacob. And Jacob had an amazing life, and his life had many twists and turns. But I want to look at one twist and turn in particular. And this twist happens as Jacob is crossing the Jabbok River. He crosses his family and servants over first. And then in Genesis 32, verses 24 to 28, it says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man replied. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now, I'm not a wrestler, if you didn't know, okay? I'm not a wrestler, but there's some certain facts which I think would hit anybody in the face, okay? Number one, they wrestled until dawn began to break. Number two, Jacob's hip was wrenched out of its socket and he still wouldn't let go. And three, Jacob's reasoning. He wouldn't let go until he was blessed. And I think these three facts really show Jacob's passion for me and it really inspires me. It was night when the man showed up, and they wrestled until dawn was breaking. Now, this isn't some small feat, okay? And so I did start to do some research on wrestling. Great, okay? Wrestling matches last seven minutes, and that's for the wrestlers' safety. If after seven minutes it's still a draw, they have extra time. It's brilliant. It's like football. And then they have two minutes of extra time. The longest match last season in American college wrestling was 11 minutes, and then it was stopped because it was unsafe for the wrestlers. 11 minutes. Jacob wrestled through the night until dawn was breaking. This wasn't an 11-minute match. 
okay? This was the wrestling match to end all wrestling matches, okay? And Jacob wasn't giving up. That determination shows true passion. Now, as I've already stated, that the main reason that wrestling matches are 7 minutes to 11 minutes is for the rest of the safety. Last year, during the 7-minute games, over 458 different wrestlers wrestled, and they actually had 219 different injuries in one season. I can't even name 219 different injuries, but apparently they all happened. Some typical injuries that happened last season. Um, we've got dislocated shoulders, dislocated knees, sprained elbows, finger fractures, elbow fractures, shoulder fractures, arthritis, ankle tears, shoulder tears, finger tears, concussions, and spinal cord injuries. And they're just some of the most common in a seven-minute match. Okay? Jacob wasn't in a seven-minute match. He put his body on the line, and he would have known it, but he still wasn't giving up. And then there's the injury, the dislocated hip. Now, by modern standards, this is still quite a bad injury, and it's one that people don't really associate with sport or wrestling. They associate with a car crash. It's such a severe injury. Treatment is lengthy, and it can take up to four months before someone's completely recovered, and that's modern medicine. Just think how Jacob would have coped, but yet he didn't let go. Jacob's passion was a passion that was unrelenting. And passion can be defined in the following ways. It's either a powerful emotion, which it must have been for Jacob to endure the fight, or two, boundless enthusiasm, which Jacob must have had to continue wrestling for all of that time. I mean, just some synonyms for um, passion. Fervor, zeal, and fire. Jacob put his body on the line and wrestled through the night. Now, if that doesn't show fervor, zeal, and fire, I don't know what is. But then there's the reason. Jacob knew who he was wrestling, and in verse 26, he said that he wouldn't let go unless he was blessed. He was so passionate about God. He knew that everything in his life up to that point had God in it. He knew it, and he knew if he was going to continue on the journey, he needed God to continue to be part of his life, and he knew that desperately. He wasn't going to let go without God. How do you feel about God? Do you love him? Are you passionate about him? Do you want him to be an everyday part of your everyday life? Every day. How badly do you want it? How do you make sure that happens? How do you keep God in your part of your life every day? And I was trying to think, how well do I do it? And I know, and Liz hears them, my list of excuses. I love it. I don't have the time. God already knows how I feel. The summit on TV or just the two words that would destroy me every time I think about it. I'm busy. None of these reasons show my true passion for God. If God was to show up and try and wrestle me, I wouldn't even get into a wrestling match with excuses like that. I might as well just walk away. Jacob reminds me just how passionate I should be about God. I should seek him out and not let go, and not for anything, especially the things of this world. Now, I know for some of you, passion, it's an uncomfortable subject. I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm a man. I'm a man's man. I can, see you, I can see you there. I'm a man's man, and I like manly things. Okay, passion, passion is something for women. They love the romance movies. They love all that lovey-dovey stuff. Passion isn't just about lovey-dovey stuff. It's not. It transcends gender. I mean, look at Jacob. He shows his passion through a wrestling match. You don't get more manly than like that. Passion is something which affects men and women alike. And I, I just urge you men, don't switch on and go to talk about passion. Ugh. Because passion is something which is for everyone, that passion for God. I mean, if you just look at the Psalms, amazing, amazing verses 
that are so passionate about God, whether it's in the, the victory of battle or whether it's just them sitting alone in a cave pouring their hearts out to God. But they're great sources of passion. And these statements of passion, they're not just in the Bible either. They're everywhere. And I didn't quite realize until I started to think about it, okay? Now, I was there on the bus trying to think about how to prepare this, and I had my iPod on because, you know, I'm young, I'm cool, I've got iPods, it's all good, okay? I had it on shuffle, I love the mystery, what's coming next, you're never going to know. And Dido came on, and before you're going to feel that, yes, men do listen to Dido, I'm an example of that, okay? And the words of the chorus just blew me away. I won't go, I won't sleep, and I can't breathe until you're resting here with me. I won't leave, I can't hide, I cannot be until you're resting here with me. Just think about those words and apply them to your relationship with God. I've heard God's voice so clearly sometimes and I've felt his love and that's the passion that I want to show God. I want to come to church with that passionate expectation. I mean, we've all done it. We've all gone through the motions now and again. You've rolled up in your car. You've seen the lovely car parking people. They've waved you to the right way. You've rolled into church. You've gone in the coffee shop. You've grabbed your tea, your coffee. You've shaken your hands. You've come up here. You've sat down. You've watched the notices. You've gone, oh, I might go to that. You stand up. You sing your songs. Of course, your arms go up when the key change happens. You've all done it, okay? You've looked around. You've seen it. The hand goes up. You sit back down. Talk happens, oh, it's good, I'll agree with that. You nod and amen in all the correct places. Okay, you get up, you sing your song, you say goodbye to everyone, and you go home. And then that small question pops in your head. What did you do on Sunday? I don't know. For me, I've started coming to church with Jacob and Dido in my head. I've started to call these things Jacobisms. Okay, these three statements. And I come to church every Sunday with them. I won't go until you're resting here with me. I won't leave until you're resting here with me. And I cannot be until you're resting here with me. That's the passionate expectation I want to come to church with. That keeps them in my head and in my heart. And it keeps God at the forefront of everything. And it's not just Jacob that has these. Okay, There are people that live with these Jacobisms all their life. If you look at Mark 7 verses 25 to 29. It tells of a woman's interaction with Jesus. It says, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plate. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. She wasn't leaving until Jesus had healed her daughter. She wasn't going anywhere. Jesus knew it, and she knew it. And Jesus saw that passion, and she showed that passion. And I believe it's that passion, that same passion that Jacob showed when he wrestled the man. Again, there's someone else in Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. 
But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. I'd argue using the Jacob Dido passion statements that Mary was showing Jesus her passion. What was she doing? Some people would say she wasn't doing anything, but that's wrong. She was resting with the Lord. And sometimes just resting with the Lord shows our passion for him. It's a key to us getting closer to him, just resting and being with him. Just like Jacob and the Gentile woman and Mary were passionate about their relationship with God, they weren't leaving or moving until they were closer to him. There's one more example that I want to look at, but it's not from the Bible, this one. It's a clip from one of my favorite films, okay, and it really shows passion for me. So just look at your screen, you're going to see a clip from When Harry Met Sally. I've been doing a lot of things, and the thing is, I love you. What? I love you. How do you expect me to respond to this? How about you love me too? How about I'm leaving? Doesn't what I said mean anything to you? I'm sorry, Harry. I know it's New Year's Eve. I know you're feeling lonely, but you just can't show up here, tell me you love me, and expect that to make everything all right. It doesn't work this way. Well, how does it work? I don't know, but not this way. How about this way? I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. You see? That is just like you, Harry. You say things like that and you make it impossible for me to hate you. And I hate you, Harry. I really hate you. Okay, I don't think she hates him. Bit of a secret there. But what's the bit that shows the passion? Is it the running on New Year's Eve? Is it the list of things that he loves about her? I don't think it is. I think it's the one line that clinches it for me. When you realize that you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Just apply that to your relationship with God. Do you love him? Do you want to spend the rest of your life with him? And what are you waiting for? Passion doesn't wait. Jacob didn't wait. The Gentile woman didn't wait. Mary didn't wait. And nor does Harry. Don't you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible? And the Bible is full of people who really understand this. I mean, Philip um, meets such, um, Philip in Acts 8. He meets a man. He meets an Ethiopian man who's reading scripture. And he doesn't understand it at all. So what does Philip do? He goes up and he helps explain the scripture and gives the Ethiopian the good news. 
and verses 36 to 38 says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. He didn't wait. He just found out in his carriage, on his way home, all about God. He found out that the Almighty God loves him as more than anything else can be loved, and that Jesus came and died on the cross for his sins. And he fell in love with that. And he didn't wait till he got home, put the kettle on, sat down, watched the TV, talked to his friends, debated it first, and then went off. He just knew it. And he wanted the rest of his life to start right then with God. So what does it mean to not wait for something? Not waiting requires something from you. It requires action. I mean, how are you doing with reading the Bible? Do you make time or do you wait until it's convenient? What about prayer? Do you make the time... Or do you wait till there's a quiet moment in your day? What about your relationships with your friends? Do you call them when they're struggling? Or do you wait till they call you? What about encouragement? Do you encourage the people around you? Or do you wait till someone says something nice about you? Your relationship with God and loving people is not about waiting. If you want to get close to God, there's no better time than right now in every moment. Every chance is a chance to get closer to God. It requires action. Okay? Now as we come into land, I want you to ask yourself something. Are you waiting for something? And if so, what are you waiting for? Because Jesus has already come and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. He's already come and done that. The ultimate act of love and sacrifice. The eunuch didn't wait. He found out and jumped in with two feet. Knowing that, think about my proposal to Liz. Was it a mugging? Was it an unromantic gesture? Or was it, I just wanted the rest of my life with her to start right now? See, I told you I was passionate. (laughs) Okay? Just live it. Live that life. Read your Bible. Find out who God is. Get closer to his heart. Get closer to his spirit. Live it. Pray to, talk to, thank to God. Don't wait for the worship songs that you like. Just get up and do it. Build each other up. Live in that life of love in every moment of the day, all the time. Jacob's passion was a mentality that we could all use a dose of. Something that I've come to call the immediate mentality. Jacob's passion wouldn't let him wait for God. The Gentile woman didn't wait for Jesus. Mary didn't wait to spend time with Jesus. Philip didn't wait to share the gospel. And the eunuch didn't wait in starting his new life with God. Their passion for God gave them an immediate mentality to get closer to him. They all showed they wanted the rest of their lives to start right now. So if you're a Christian out there this morning, this is my challenge to you. Don't wait. Let God know how you feel right now. Let him bless you right now. Let the rest of your life start right now. And really give yourselves over to God in this time of worship that we're going to go into in a bit. And just let him know how you truly feel. And if you're not a Christian this morning... And you're here finding out more about God. Let me urge you, God loves you more than anything. I mean, John 3.16 says, for God, so loved, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is a God that doesn't care what you've done or where you've come from. This is a God that loves you more than you're ever going to realize. He made the universe, he's held seas in his hand, he knew your name when you are in your mother's womb. He sent his son 
his only son to come down and die on the cross so that all that sin could be taken on him so we wouldn't have to suffer through it anymore. And not just the people of that time, but all people of all time, yours and mine. When you realise you want to spend the rest of your life with God, let the rest of your life start right now. The ministry team are going to come up as well as we go into a period of worship at the end. But if you don't know, they're the ones in the blue, the blue lanyards. Um, guys, if you want prayer and just how to get close to God, being closer to God, or even if you haven't encountered God and you want that touch for the first time, let me encourage you as, you, as we worship and really show God how we feel, come up. Let them pray with you and for you. And if you want to just stand and worship, guys, meet with God and really tell him how you feel. Because there's no better time than right now. So if I just stand, we'll just go into some prayer. God, just thank you that you gave everything for us. That you loved us so much that you know each one of us inside and out. And that you give us everything. And God, please just give us the direction that we need to be closer to you. Give us the strength that we need to be closer to you. And God, I just want to pray that everyone in this room is just going to reach out for you and make you their first passion. Make you their first passion. Not their work, not where they serve, not themselves, but you, God. Because it's only through being close to you can we grow with you and enlarge your kingdom footprint. And we want to see more of you in the world, God. So please, just come.